Welcome to the Paranormal News Insider for the week of August 18th, 2020, and this is officially episode number 447, and this is your host, Dr. Brian D. Parsons, and we are live on the Paranormal King radio network at ParanormalKing.com. And, uh, you know, obviously this has been, I'll say it again, probably for the 30th time this year, one of the wackiest years we've ever seen. And the news, the paranormal news, has kind of followed suit. It's been hit and miss. We've had some weeks where I'm just, I I don't even know what to talk about. We've had other weeks where it's been so packed, we've had tons of information. Uh, This week, we've got stuff all over the place. We've got a lot of weird stories, weird stuff happening. And I I don't know if it's because people are getting angsty, bored uh, from being locked down or Uh, People are just paying attention or I don't know what, but uh, we got a lot of strange stuff in the news this week. But I also want to talk about kind of put this off uh, for a while. So I want to talk about the conferences and conventions, Uh, tons of updates. I've I've kind of got kind of burned out there for a while. And uh, there was just so many changes going on. It seemed like I spent a majority of my time prepping for the show, just looking at these events, going on Facebook, emailing people, trying to figure out what's going on so I could communicate that information to you guys or get the website updated, at least uh, the events page on paranewsinsider.com updated. So I had the latest information, uh, but it just got so overwhelming and everything is getting canceled anyway uh, that I just kind of uh, sidestepped it there in the probably the middle of Jan- uh, July and just kind of walked away from it until uh, just recently. So I have a lot of uh, new updates here. Uh, the website itself is updated. So again, paranewsinsider.com, click on the events tab at the top and that'll take you to uh, a mess pretty much of uh, things that are, are canceled, postponed, uh no date announced, uh, some with makeup dates. It seems like most events have just uh, gone ahead and, and done what a lot of us have wanted to do and just said, forget 2020. Let's look towards next year. So they've, most events are rescheduling for next year. Uh, so 2020 is pretty much a washout. Although we did have a few events actually over the weekend. There was a, a few. There was one here in Ohio. Uh, so there are a few that are, are squeezing in here and there. Uh, a lot are, are going virtual if they can. It's it's really pretty difficult to do it that way, um, to go virtual, especially after you've sold tickets to go into a physical brick-and-mortar building. Um, but uh, I don't know. We'll see as we move forward. But uh, some of the updates I have for you this week, uh, probably the biggest announcement is the postponement, I guess I kind of saw this coming though, Uh, the postponement of the MUFON 2020 International UFO Symposium. A pretty big event, usually draws a lot of people, even though it's pretty expensive. 
they did talk about going virtual with some of the presenters, but I, I guess there was a lot of people uh, that really just didn't feel safe. I mean, obviously the UFO crowd nowadays, that's a lot of older people. So um, probably not a good idea to, to pack somewhere in Vegas. And I think there was also uh, a lot of concern from the city as well. So they're kind of really left with no no alternative but to cancel this event. Uh, and don't think it had a whole lot to do with uh, some of the political things that have gone on with their uh, former president, Jan Harzan, and his arrest uh, last month, but uh, certainly didn't help. But uh, I think the COVID-19 pressure uh, pretty much put this one over the edge. So the event has been rescheduled from July 17th to the 19th uh, to September 25th to the 27th of this year. Uh, they hoped that, you know, that small time span would be enough to get things righted here and be able to put on an event. But it's been rescheduled again uh, for some time in summer 2021. There's no uh, date that I've seen yet, uh, but summer of 2021 I just don't understand. It's, this is like the latest trend. Everyone's saying it's rescheduled for 2021. Just, let's just call it what it is. It's canceled due to COVID-19. Uh, other updates include the Virginia City Paracon, originally scheduled for May 1st through the 3rd. And it was rescheduled for August 14th through the 16th. Uh, has now been rescheduled once again for May 7th through the 9th of 2021. Uh, the 7th Annual New Jersey Pair Unity Expo, originally set for May 16th, rescheduled for September 19th, now rescheduled for May 15th, 2021. The Minnesota Pair Unity Convention that was set for October 1st and 3rd in Duluth, Minnesota, has been changed to July 8th to the 10th, 2021. So yeah, events in October already being canceled. Probably pretty smart on their part, though. Uh, another one here. Uh, the Vulture City Paracon, set for October 2nd through the 4th of this year, forced to reschedule for October 8th through the 10th, 2021. The 4th Annual Mid-Michigan Paracon, set for November 8th. Yes, November 8th, rescheduled for November 7th of 2021. And looking at the calendar for ghost events, that leaves just four events on the calendar for 2020, and that's not even guarantee that those are going to go on as planned. Uh, let's see, October, November combined, that's it. Um, and I haven't seen any updates on those events. Again, not, not to say that those won't get canceled or rescheduled for next year. Um, that's 17 events just for the ghost calendar rescheduled for 2021 and 11 canceled overall this year. So that's just 28 ghost events affected um, a lot more you know, that I didn't even know about. And the good news is that uh, coming Saturday. So I mentioned there is some that are going on and one is coming this Saturday. It's really exciting to actually talk about events that are happening Saturday, August 22nd, the Hillcon Paranormal Convention is taking place in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. Uh, I got an email from them a couple of weeks ago, but I've been really tentative to add anything to the, the calendar that's upcoming because things are just changing um, day to day. I mean, you don't know what's happening, especially here in Ohio. We're, we're awaiting 
word about uh, haunted houses here in Ohio. It's it's a big thing right now. The a lot of these haunted houses are getting ready to go on. Some of them just said, you know what, we're not going to take the chance. We're canceling. There's so many stipulations in effect that it's going to make it very difficult for them to to go on. But uh, they're waiting for official word from our governor, Mike DeWine. Um, but uh, out in Pennsylvania, uh, I know they've had some struggles, but uh, it's good to hear that the uh, Hillcon Paranormal Convention in Newcastle, Pennsylvania is on for August 22nd. And uh, that's a pretty cool place. Uh, it's actually the last place I've ever investigated. It uh, was a really, really unique location. Really enjoyed my time there. So if you're in the area and you're able to go, uh, check it out. Uh, the International UFO Congress event on September 9th through the 12th in Phoenix is uh, it's also on, but it's only going to be live streamed. Uh, Michigan UFO contact originally set for September 11th and 12th rescheduled for September 24th and 25th, 2021. Uh, the MUFON Pittsburgh area UFO conference has been moved from November 7th to May 1st of 2021. Uh, cryptid events here. I see uh, the Hanobia Bigfoot Festival and conference on October 2nd and 3rd in Hanobia, Oklahoma canceled but will return in 2021. So uh, again, you can head on over to paranewsinsider.com, click on the events tab there at the top, and it'll take you to uh, the list that looks like Swiss cheese. It's uh, so many things crossed out and rescheduled, and it's uh, been a lot of work. Probably spent more work on that this year than any other year uh, because of all the cancellations and, and uh reschedules and, and all that, but that's what I get for for doing that. But I still enjoy doing it, although I'm, uh, I don't know, I'm a little tentative to do it again next year, but uh, it's already been written for me, pretty much all these cancellations uh, for, uh, I should say, rescheduled events for next year. Uh, we'll make it easy to update the calendar for sure. Uh, but, uh, geez, just a, a lot of strange things with those events. Unfortunately, a lot of them are being canceled out of their, it's out of their hands. A lot of these promoters events, you know, it's, it's hard to put one of these things on to get people together to do this. And, you know, the general public really wants to get out there and enjoy these things, obviously safely as best they can. But uh, a lot of these cities, states, counties are just saying, no, we're not going to take the chance. We're not going to do it. And uh, what what paranormal TV show is coming back? My favorite paranormal TV show? I wonder which one that is. Um, so that's that. That's the event stuff. We're going to go into cryptid news. And uh, strange stuff in the cryptid arena. Uh, almost didn't have any stories this week, which is really weird. But uh, we had one. Uh, pretty much the most interesting story in cryptozoology this week. Uh, I had to put it in there. I had to talk about it. It seems like it's uh, uh, just just hanging around, hanging around. And this comes from ice, Iceland, the land of ice. It's really not as much ice as Greenland, which is weird. Uh, a video was uploaded to Instagram by Icelandic rapper uh, Vigdis Hauser. 
Harrodater. There's a lot of little weird symbols there on her name. Um, hopefully I didn't chop it up too much. Vigdis Hauser Harrodater. Uh, luckily, she goes by the name Fever Dream on stage and in her videos. Uh, but the video that she shot, not one that she appears in rapping, uh, it's uh, the picturesque Dedifoss Waterfalls uh, in northeast Iceland. It's a pretty picturesque scene of uh, kind of like dirty waterfall. So it's, you know, obviously the ice and uh, a lot of uh, sediment and things. But uh, as Fever Dream slowly zooms in on the falls, we see a strange-looking object at the bottom of the screen just over a cliff that separates her from the falls. And lucky you, I've got uh, some pictures I'll show. I'll share there in the chat room. Uh, so if you're in chat, you get that extra dimension, that extra uh, thing, not just listening to my voice slowly lull you to sleep, but we also get some pictures. So here's a, a screen cap of the Instagram video. Uh, this is part of the way through uh, the first few seconds of the video. So you see uh, the waterfall there in the background. You see some uh, land in the front. But if you look, there's like a little V-shaped crevice there. You can see a strange dark object there on the uh, kind of the right side. It's facing toward the left a little bit. And as uh, the video is pretty short, it's only a few seconds long. And you can see there's uh, almost 20,000 views. It's posted six days ago. Um, I don't know if that was today or not. I think it was a couple of days ago. So it might be older than that now. Um, so the object appears to be moving slowly. It's kind of going back and forth and not really a, a specific pattern, just kind of randomly moving. And it seems to look like some sort of a, of a head of some sort of creature. So uh, here's uh, I'll share another picture, a second picture. We, as we get a little bit closer uh, as she zooms in a little closer, here's another view of this strange-looking creature. Not the best screen cap. I think there's there's another one where you see almost like an appendage, like an arm hanging off this thing. And it gets, it gets really weird when you watch the video. Uh, so as the camera zooms in completely on the falls, the strange object or purported creature, whatever you want to believe, it actually moves into the lower part of the frame, which is... Uh, Really spooky. It's almost like it does it on purpose. Um, but I think it's just because of the way uh, she's she's moving her... I'm uh, kind of assuming it's a, it's a, uh, a phone. So as the, uh, the phone is moved, uh, this object just comes into view. And you can see there, there's at the bottom. It looks like... And if you read the description, it looks like the girl from the ring that uh, made it in there so it's kind of a weird looking thing weird looking creature or whatever it is so she states that the conditions would not have allowed anyone to be in the area where the object appears so out in front uh, it looks like uh, icy conditions watery icy conditions probably not safe for anybody to be there uh, i guess it was windy whatnot so uh, would not have been able to make it over that area. Uh, the other really big thing that I noted when I was first reading this is that she didn't appear that she saw the object while she was filming it. So this happened after the fact. Uh, 
so she saw it after she had filmed it, reviewing this film and saying, hey, wait a minute, what is that? Uh, she didn't want to make any claims as to what the thing in the video was, uh, although she does speculate a little bit in her Instagram post. Uh, as she says, the video is shot close to the capital city of elves. So the capital city of elves is uh, known as Asbergi Canyon, which is a horseshoe-shaped glacial canyon uh, full of folklore. Uh, it is known as the capital city of elves, and people claim to see dwellings on the cliff sides, and uh, as well as elves running around in the area. So it's a kind of a magical place. It's in the area. I don't remember how far away. It's not too far away from the falls here. Uh, but speaking of the falls, again, she doesn't. She claims she doesn't see it when she took the video, which to me suggests usually in these conditions. It's something mundane and explainable. And when we go back and we view something later on, you know, our minds our, our minds take over and our imaginations kick into high gear. And we tend to see stranger things than what we're actually there. Although when you do look at that zoomed in picture, it's a little little spooky. Uh so to me. If I had to speculate, if I had to throw something out there, uh, this is uh, was taken in August. So it is still warm in the area. Uh, there are a lot of plants in the area. And to me, it looks like plants that uh, are matted together, possibly even frozen together, just kind of clumped. And they're blowing around in the, the obviously the wind created by the, the water, tremendous amount of water falling not too far away from this object. And the other thing is that I think it appears to be much bigger than what it really is due to the angle in which it's being filmed. So if you've ever heard of forced perspective, I think that's what we're seeing here. So think about when people go fishing and they catch a fish and they're going to get their picture taken with it. They hold it out in front of them. So it makes it appear larger on camera than what it really is and uh if you've never done that before well i just gave you a trick to make your fish look even bigger although i'm sure your story is going to be far bigger than that uh so again the reason for the movement of this this object would be the wind created by the waterfall then again who knows uh, folklore is very strong in iceland and such creatures are revered uh pretty much like bigfoot so the elves are you know huge in Iceland. And uh, a few years ago, if you you might remember here on the show, we talked about uh, another big cryptid in Iceland, the Lagerflot worm. And it was really, to me, dismissed pretty easily. Uh, it's basically a clump of ice was moving in the current. It was filmed. And it, again, to me, it was explainable. It was really simple. Everyone just kind of blew it out of proportion. But the guy who filmed it, ended up getting a little chunk of money, and uh, also the claim to fame that it was uh, deemed a legitimate video of the uh, lager flat worm as voted on by a local committee. Uh, but as far as this latest video uh, by Fever Dream, I don't think it was an intentional hoax. I don't think it was uh, CGI, in my opinion. I don't think so, um, but I do think it was just misidentification. But... You know, also at the same time, I had never heard of Fever Dream. Uh, 
but now I have. And a lot of other people have now also heard of her as well. So, you know, publicity like this is free. It's pretty easy to do. And um, I don't know. So I'll just leave it right there on your doorstep. Uh, as is, but uh, watch the video. It's it's pretty creepy the way this thing moves. Uh, although again, I think a lot of it has to do with the wind and uh, the conditions, uh, frozen conditions, uh, which would be caused by the the wind. And uh, never been there though, but it's beautiful. Love to go there, see for myself. It's not in the budget though, so I'm not gonna be able to go out there and. And investigate that. Uh, so I'll throw in the link in the chat room. And uh, my hope is that throughout the week I'll be able to upload links uh, through Facebook and Twitter. Although Facebook has been really, really annoying lately. I've not been able to schedule the stories in advance like I normally do. Uh, so it's been a real pain in the butt to actually get these links out there. But I'll do the best I can to get this information out to you during the week. And we're going to move into UFO news, probably the biggest news section of the week for the paranormal. Um, but uh, before we get to that big story, I want to follow up on a story we talked about last week. So last week, I talked about a little bit of panic over the sighting of an object in the skies over Denver, Colorado. Uh, a local CBS4 photojournalist photographed the object which initially was not identified by anybody, including the Federal Aviation Administration, also known as the FAA, uh, which led to, of course, speculation and, well, a little bit of panic, a little bit more panic. Uh, but the object ended up becoming identified as a Google high-altitude balloon known as Project Loon. And a similar situation unfolded in central Texas this past weekend, Calls and emails flooded into local news stations as three white objects were spotted high in the sky just west of San Marcos, Texas, south of Austin, and north of San Antonio. Beautiful area. I love it out there. Um, miss that area. It's a lot of fun to be in that part of Texas. Anyway, uh, in this case, flight tracking software quickly identified six objects seen in various parts of central Texas as balloons belonging to Google's Project Loon, floating at around 50,000 feet. And again, I mentioned last week, it seems like um, some of these explanations are, are the new swamp gas, but I guess uh, I guess balloons have always been one of the uh, knee-jerk explanations to UFOs. But in this case, it's really the actual explanation to these UFOs. Uh, Project Loon provides internet access to rural areas by using a network of balloons floating in the stratosphere. And attached to these balloons, there's these little devices that help beam signals down to the Earth's surface. Uh, it's a much cleaner and uh, more inexpensive method to the Starlink satellites, uh, very less intrusive as well, although maybe not because we keep getting these stories. Uh, the Starlink satellites, of course, created by Tesla's Elon Musk, and well, for his SpaceX company. Uh, in addition to these Denver sightings, Project Loon Blanding sightings also were reported in Nebraska and Virginia. 
and uh, both initially were thought to be UFOs, but uh, those stories were a little less dramatic and a little less panic. But uh, these, these other stories, Denver and Central Texas, uh, between Austin and San Antonio, uh, created a little bit of a little bit of panic, a little bit of interest in these stories. Of course, people got to have things to talk about as far as UFOs are concerned. And let me get the link to that in the chat room. And you wonder how that would affect uh, some of these organizations that take and uh, keep track of UFO sightings across the country. You wonder how that will affect it with these particular sightings. And I guess we'll find out. We'll find out next month. Uh, but this month, weren't sure if we're going to have this due to, again, some of the political things that happened within the Mutual UFO Network last month. Uh, but it's here. The MUFON uh, Mutual UFO Network organization has released their sighting statistics for the month of July. I'm starting to get a little nervous because it's it's past the middle of August, and usually it's around this time. Wasn't sure if it was going to happen. Uh, and of course, it's the largest UFO research and investigation organization in the world, although it is based in the United States. So a majority of the sightings are here in the United States. And of course, uh, if you've been following the show and you've been listening to me talk about the sighting statistics, you've you've learned that it's been a very interesting year for statistics as back in April, the total number of sightings for that month surpassed 1000 marking their first time that's happened in five years. I, I guess it's because people are, are locked down. Um, people are not going to work. They're, they're at home and they're bored. That's my explanation. I don't know if that's true, uh, but it sounds good. Uh, so my prediction, and I know Dita's in the chat room, so there's no way. Oh, she lost her notes, so I can lie. Uh, too late, though. I've already got it written down. Um, my prediction for June was a bit too high as the numbers uh, really fell off a lot more than I thought they would with 601 total worldwide sightings and 446 in the United States. I, I estimated a slight uptick from those numbers heading into July with my prediction of 621 total sightings and 455 in the United States. That's my prediction um, for July. Well, admittedly, I was off again as the sighting numbers jumped up a bit again with MUFON reporting 769 total worldwide sightings with 612 in the United States. So it was off again, but that's okay. That's just really weird jump. Uh, and these numbers are slightly higher than the average for July over the last few years. But I didn't see that coming. I didn't see it jumping. You know, I estimated 621, but it was six, 769. Really, I don't know what I was thinking. Way off. Um, but that's okay. Of the 769 total sightings, and uh, again, 612 for the United States, Canada was next with 47. Uh, the United Kingdom turned in 29. 
France had 25. Germany had six. Mexico and India had four each. Indonesia, Brazil, Portugal, and Ireland had three each. Uh, Australia, Spain, Ecuador, and South Korea had two each. And there were 22 other entries with just one sighting each. Of the 612 United States sightings, of course, California led the way with 75. And I say, of course, because, again, they are number one in state population. So statistically, they should be leading the way with the number of sightings, you would think. Uh, Although I'm sure there's a lot of other factors that uh, could potentially get worked into UFO sightings. Uh, Florida was next with 51 New York and Ohio both had 32. Pennsylvania and Texas had 31 each. Colorado had 20. Michigan, 19. Oregon, 18. Washington, Tennessee, and Arizona had 17 reports each. Illinois had 15. Uh, Indiana, North Carolina, and Utah had 14 apiece. Uh, Missouri had 13. Georgia, 10. Minnesota and Kentucky had nine each. New Jersey, New Mexico, and Montana had eight each. South Carolina, Alabama, Wisconsin, Maine, Idaho, and Nevada all had seven each. And we have New Hampshire, Virginia, Kansas, Maryland, and Oklahoma with six each. Um, Now, I like to do some extended math, some extra statistics because I like to punish myself with uh, mathematics uh, at least once a month doing these sighting statistics. Now, MUFON used to do uh, per capita. So they used to look at how many sightings per state per 100,000 people. Uh, But I guess they stopped doing it because it's basically a percentage. Um, But I continue to do that. I like to do it because it gives you a, a perspective on which state really had more sightings per people, uh, per person, and obviously, states like California are larger, but with bigger sighting numbers. But how does that really weigh into the total number that other states are having? And we have uh, – so if you look at the U.S., so the U.S. totals uh, with 612 sightings, it translates to a 0.186 per capita. Uh, so 0.186 per 100,000 people. In the United States, or you could say one in every 535,185 people in the United States claim to have seen a UFO last month. California, the number one state in sightings with 75, as well as, again, population number one, turned in a .189. So that's just barely over the U.S. average Or we could uh, look at that as one in 526,829 people. So eh, pretty much right at average, slightly above. Uh, Then we look at uh, Florida, number three in state population. Uh, They had 51 sightings. They turned in a .237, so above average. But uh, my eye is not really significant, even though it's a large number of sightings. So you could translate that to one in every 421,132 people reported a UFO in the state of Florida in June 
I'm sorry, July. Um, then we can look at some other states that, uh, so we'll do it in sequential order. So uh, Tennessee, number 16, and state population turned in a 0.248. And that was only with 17 sightings. Uh, or you could say one in 401,951. Uh, North Dakota, number 47, in state population. Well, they only had two sightings, but it translates to a 0.262, or one in every 381,031 people. Exactly one in 381,031 people. Uh, Colorado, number 21, in state population. They had 20 sightings, which translates to a 0.347 or one in 287,936 people. Uh, Rhode Island, 44 in state population. We don't really get them too often here in the MUFON setting statistics uh, this high, but they had uh, four, four sightings, but it was enough to, to get them to a 0.377 or one in every 264,840 people reporting a UFO. Uh, New Mexico, number 36 in state population. They had eight sightings and gave them a 0.381 per capita or one in 262,103 people. Uh, Alaska, 48th in state population. They had a whopping three sightings, but that gives them a 0.41 or one in every 243,848. But again, I think you you look at how big Alaska is. I don't know if that really. I mean, you'd have to look at square square footage for states too. Uh, I guess square mileage. In this case, that's be a lot of square feet. Uh, square mileage. With Alaska being a, a ginormous state, uh, I don't know how that would again factor into things. Uh, Oregon, number twenty-seven in state population. They had a 0.426 with 18 sightings, or one in every 234,318 people. Utah is number 30 in state population. Uh, they had 14 sightings, which is pretty good for them. 0.436, or exactly one in every 228,997 people. Uh, Wyoming, number 50 dead last in state population of the 50 states. Uh, they only had three sightings. 0.518, though. Uh, so that's pretty good. Uh, one in every 192,919 people. There probably, there's probably more antelope than that. Uh, Maine, number 42 in state population. Oh, they had seven sightings, turned in a 0.52, or one in every 192,030 people. So, oh, I guess I'll give them the win this month, seven sightings. Way to go, Maine. And, boy, I really hate to do this because, uh, yeah, as pointed out, I'm worse than the weatherman in forecasting. You know, believe it or not, I've, I've come pretty close. I've been off by, like, one number a few times have been pretty close. Never, I don't think I've ever nailed one exactly, but I've been off by one, usually within 1%. Uh, 
of uh, you know my predictions, but uh, I don't know. It's been a little rough. Things are just bouncing all over the place like a a uh, a bouncy ball. It's really hard to predict with everything that's going on. But I'm going to go for it. I'm going to predict for August. Here's my official predictions, and I, I see uh, Dita's sharpening her pencil right now. Uh, August, I'm going to predict 706 total sightings and 549 U.S. And uh, I'm going to be within. I'm going to be within two percent. I'm going to be close. That's going to be my closest prediction all year. I mean, look at that. I mean, I've been pretty close uh, this year. Uh, yeah, not so much. Off, close, nope, not even close. Yeah, in April I predicted uh, 645 total sightings. We had uh, 1,026, so that tells you pretty much all you need to know about this year. Uh, I did have 681 in June, which it ended up being 601, which is pretty close. I had 479. It ended up being 446 for U.S. Eh, so, you know, it's not completely bad. Um, but again, the MUFON setting statistics, it's really kind of a, uh, I guess you'd call it a novelty. It's not really an indication of actual UFO sightings or how you know, how many strange aircraft or strange alien craft are circulating through our skies. Uh, because it's really, when you look at the, the way the sightings are gathered, so anything that was pretty much put into their system last month, regardless if it happened 30 years ago, counted toward last month. So it, it's really kind of insignificant statistically, especially when we're looking at this being um, basically percentages and so far down in the number of people that we're seeing these things. So take it all with a grain of salt, but again, being the largest UFO research and investigation organization in the world, uh, any other UFO gathering statistics sites uh, really would be a lot worse off you know, when we're talking about potential, um, you know, potentially looking at getting a little bit of a ballpark and really what's happening. And again, this also doesn't include UFOs that were explainable. So sightings, including the Project Loon, like we just talked about, or, um, you know, people skydiving and, and things like that. But again, it also takes into con consideration accounts that were historical. So accounts that happened years ago that were just now reported to MUFON. And a question in the chat, did I take the MUFON field investigator examination? I took it um, back in 2006, I think, 2005, 2006, somewhere back there. Uh, did get, uh, did complete it, did get it to, I was a field investigator trainee for a while, but decided I really couldn't invest my time in it as, as much as I really wanted to. And being, you know, leading a ghost team at the time and trying to write books and a lot of other things going on in life, just decided I couldn't dedicate time to it. Plus, there was some political things going on with MUFON that, uh, at least here in the state of Ohio, that kind of kept me from getting involved in that but uh it's not an easy test 
it's pretty good, and I really enjoyed the fact that it was a little, little challenging. But um, MUFON field investigators, um, their manual is uh, really, really good. It's also really, really expensive, and it has a, a lot of. It's basically just a bunch of articles put together. And so if you buy that, you can you can the test is in, in inside of that, so you can take the test. And if you want to become a field investigator for MUFON, you could do that. Uh, but uh, I have a book that's a lot cheaper. It talks about a lot of the same stuff, but uh, there's no comparison for MUFON's field investigators manual. Lots of great information from them in that book. Uh, but the biggest UFO news of the week, of course, I'm sure you saw this. I'm sure you've uh, come across articles. Uh, it's been plastered all over the place. Probably the number one story in the paranormal, if not last week, but off and on throughout the year, talking about the government, talking about UFOs. Uh, but it's taken a little bit of a, twirn, a twist, turn, twirn. I guess I just created a new word. Uh, this week, as there was an announcement that the Pentagon has announced that the establishment of a task force to review unexplained aerial phenomena that has been seen by the U.S. military. So this is an interesting step forward. A lot of people are getting really, really excited about this. But what does it really mean? In a statement by the Pentagon, uh, they stated in part, quote, on August 4th, 2020, Deputy Secretary of Defense David L. Norquist approved the establishment of an unidentified aerial phenomena, UAP task force, UAPTF, everything's an acronym. Uh, the Department of Defense established UAPTF to improve its understanding of and gain insight into the nature and origins of UAPs. The mission of the task force is to detect, analyze, and catalog UAPs that could potentially pose a threat to U.S. national security, unquote. So the UAP task force will be operated by the U.S. Navy and report to the Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence. This work really is already being done, but now it's going to have a more formal process to it. The work completed by the task force will still be classified, although this might change in the future if the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence's proposal for an unclassified report on UFOs, or I guess I should say UAPs, is adopted by the full Senate and House of Representatives. And of course, all of this, we've been talking about this all year, and it seems like they've been sprinkling stories in randomly throughout the last few weeks, and I wondered why, what was the big deal? Well, of course, it all came down to this August 4th announcement, and this all follows the release of the three videos, which we've been talking about for years now, which have gone on to be known as Gimbal, Go Fast, and FLIR One, also known as uh, the Tic Tac video. These videos were acknowledged and officially released by the Pentagon in April of this year, although leaked to the public through the New York Times via the To The Stars Academy. Uh, many claim that these videos are UFOs, and, and by UFOs, I mean alien technology, as they defy rational explanation. 
although various explanations for all three videos have been made, and uh, at least two of them are pretty much to me, I don't even see why there's such a debate about them, uh, although largely ignored by the general public, but of course, most of the general public, they want to believe. But of course, all this spin by the government makes things even more confusing because that's their job, of course. Uh, this task force creation is essentially a reaction to the reaction of these videos going out into the public. And the public is really interested in what's going on, which is really weird because you rewind a few years ago and you know people would just make fun of UFOs, especially people who believed in UFOs. Now it seems like the general public as a whole is wondering just what's going on here. So this task force is basically uh, a reaction to the reaction of the videos being out there. Uh, UFO skeptic Robert Schaefer weighed in on this topic by saying, quote, in the military, a task force is something that is put together to deal with a specific situation or problem. It is expected to produce a report and recommendations concerning that issue and is disbanded when such work is complete. So this is not something open-ended and ongoing, such, uh, such as Project Blue Book. It does not suggest an ongoing government interest in unidentified objects, unquote. Uh, so basically, this is just a short-term thing just to gather information to see whether or not all this information is worth carrying on over. But again, I think I've seen it. Um, a lot of people talking about this. It's a waste of money. It's just a waste of resources. And it's just a way to um, kind of get the public to think that things are, are being taken care of when it's really, it's just information gathering. It's just things exchanging hands, uh, especially money exchanging hands. Now, other experts point out that this response to unidentified aerial phenomena is anchored in the protection of our airspace, which has been increasingly penetrated by other technologies from around the world. And as our technology increases, we may also monitor how our technology could be perceived by others, which again, might be another reason for this analysis of this information. So we wanna see how our tech could be uh, seen by our, our own forces or by our own technology. So something that a lot of people haven't really thought of. Uh, either way, on the outside, it might seem like this is about tracking alien spacecraft in our airspace, but it's really about understanding the technology advancements around us and how to keep track of it all. And not just the objects that we're seeing, but the technology that is seeing it, uh, because I really don't think they really understand uh, this technology. And, and one of the objects that was seen in one of these videos was actually the pilot and operators first time ever using flare equipment. So uh, they misinterpreted information. They weren't able to gather it correctly. And this is what happens when we don't understand our own technology that we're using. Gets off fluffy. Um, so let me throw a link to that in the chat room. And gently, gently, don't want to hit anybody. It's a lot of letters here so there it is in the chat room for you guys to uh, read at your own leisure uh, that's an msn article there's also well you know what i'm going to put this one in here space.com article which is really good 
uh, kind of their analysis of what uh, what all this really means when you add it all up. Uh, you know, looking at it on the surface, it, it seems like it means one thing, but really uh, digging down deep, there's another meaning to all this stuff going on. And that's your UFO news for the week. And we're going to move to ghost news and uh, probably the most bizarre news story this week and probably one of the most bizarre of the year, especially in the ghost field. You probably read about this too. You probably heard about this. Just wackiness, zaniness. People believe the strangest things. Um, yeah, bizarre world we live in, bizarre times that we live in. Uh, things have happened. People never thought we'd all be having to wear masks. Even in January, February, I never would have thought this would have happened. But a uh, bizarre story happened over the weekend. And it's all thanks to Wikipedia. Uh, Wikipedia is going to turn 20 years old next January. Seems like it's uh, should be older than that, but 20 years next January, it's become the largest and most popular general reference work on the World Wide Web, according to well Wikipedia's Wikipedia page, which I don't want to click on because I thought the world would turn inside out. That Wikipedia actually has a Wikipedia page. Really weird. Uh, the site itself relies on people to constantly edit the information. And every now and again, pages are vulnerable to what Wikipedia calls vandalism, where information is put on that's false, misleading, or may contain abusive language. And it happens all the time. This is where rumors of, of people uh, dying sometimes come from, especially Musicians, athletes, and, and and different celebrities, their information on Wikipedia has changed and the people automatically assume. Until you wait, you know, obviously you got to wait for TMZ because they're the all-knowing uh, official source of who dies when and where. Um, Wikipedia is just where people rush to to update in that information as quickly as they can, which is really, really weird. Uh, many rumors have been generated by vandalism. And uh, one big one happened over the weekend, and it's really unexpected. It's not really one that you'd think would generate so much attention and so much speculation, uh, but it did. On Friday morning, the Wikipedia page of Annabelle, the haunted doll, was updated, saying that it had escaped from the Warren's Occult Museum in Monroe, Connecticut, earlier that day. And I guess people bought it. People believed it. I meant to put a picture there in chat. I'm going to get there in a second. So here's a little screen cap of part of the Wikipedia page. Um, that's actually just the search on Google that popped up with the uh, the updated Annabelle information. So uh, the Internet and social media, of course, went into a tizzy uh, memes were created, uh, fears were uh, circulated that Annabelle was lurking somewhere on the East Coast, and we'd all better lock our doors. Uh, the Wikipedia page was fixed at first by a bot, but was again vandalized off and on for the next 24 hours a number of times, and fixed by a number of other people a number of times until it was locked 
even when the story went viral, vandals attempted to keep the uh, escaped version of the page up by using references to the story, even though the story pretty much debunked it. Uh, they did everything they could, which was weird because this uh, Annabelle's page wasn't updated, I think, in years, four or five years. And all of a sudden, within a 24-hour span, there was like 30 or 40 updates and re-updates. It was really interesting to see. And so, some of the stuff was, uh, was misspelled. Uh, grammar was horrible. Uh, so you, you could tell people, and most of them were done on cell phones. So people were using their phones to edit Wikipedia. I don't recommend that. I don't really, I don't really edit Wikipedia too much anymore. I used to in the early days when it first started. I was on there a lot. But I don't do it too much anymore. Uh, but rest assured, if you've not heard the news by now, Annabelle is safe and sound within the museum, uh, which has actually been closed for months due to zoning issues. Uh, the Warren's son-in-law, Tony Sparrow, went on YouTube to make a statement about Annabelle that he would uh, be concerned if the doll had left, uh, but it's safe and secure. Uh, Annabelle's story is told in the Conjuring films and has an interesting backstory of essentially being a demonic spirit pretending to be a child trapped in a creepy-looking doll. If you believe in such things. Um, but how did this all start? You know, my question was, well, why did all of a sudden Annabelle uh, escape or purportedly escape? And why were so many people going on Wikipedia changing this? It wasn't the same person. It was a number of different people. Even people that actually had a Wikipedia account were going on there and changing this information. So I thought there's got to be something to this. And of course, uh, it didn't take too long to do a little bit of research to find out that, yes, of course, somebody was behind all that before I get carried away. I'm going to throw a link to that story, uh, the actual leaving of the museum in a chat before I get into probably the reason behind it, uh, why the website was altered, why the uh, uh, the story really took out um, – or took off, I should say, across the internet. Well, it comes down to one gentleman who uh, kind of fueled a little bit of uh, stuff going on. And his name, you might have heard of this guy. I don't know. He's, I think he's been around for a little while. Uh, a guy named Zach Bagans. So the reality behind the sudden vandalism uh, might stem from some other social media action that was going on at the time. It appears that there's some beef between Ghost Adventure star Zach Bagans and Tony Spera. Uh, again, the Warren's son-in-law. Um, it, it's really complicated. It's weird. He's arguing about his safety and security around Annabelle, which is really kind of weird to talk about. If you don't feel safe around a, a little doll, I, I don't know what to tell you, Zach. Uh, the beef centers on Zach Bagans calling out Tony for being disrespectful towards him and his crew over an investigation centering on Annabelle. So they've gone back and forth about this. And my guess would be that uh, Zach Bagan's crew, this little GAC crew, Ghost Adventures crew, uh, guys in the trenches out there, took it upon themselves to kind of get back at Tony uh, through Annabelle and, and spreading rumors about her escape. That's just my guess, but it seems to be that's what really stirred the pot was this uh, argument between 
Zach and Tony. Get over it, guys. It's it's a doll. It's a doll. Yeah, fine. It's a haunted doll that spurred a couple of movies. But come on, guys. Let's get real here. Uh, anyway, that's your ghost news. Uh, but one last little story uh, before we go for the for the week. Uh, let me put that in chat though, so you can get that last story about Zach Bagans. You can read all about this uh, this doll beef that they have. His uh, Zach Bagans' safety and all this and that about this this doll. It's kind of funny that uh, he was uh, f- afraid of a doll. Anyway, I got a book of the week this week. Uh, I kind of skipped it earlier in the newscast because I wanted to make sure I got through all of the news tonight and I got under just under the wire tonight. Uh, but the book of the week this week uh, is on Encyclopedia of Cryptozoology. And I love encyclopedias. And obviously, I love cryptozoology. So this is a perfect book for me. Uh, It's called Encyclopedia of Cryptozoology, A Global Guide to Hidden Animals and Their Pursuers, written by Michael Newton. And this is a book. This is a big book. Uh, It's it's a very it's a brick. It's it's huge. Uh, This book is 576 pages and it's packed with tons of information and resources. Uh, There's a lot of black and white drawings throughout the book uh it's said to uh it's said to cover 2744 cryptids that's what it says on the back of the book uh, around the world as well as 112 individuals within the field of cryptozoology Uh, the back of the book is packed with movies books websites and tons of other additional information in addition to obviously the encyclopedia of creatures all around the world uh, although you got to be careful, some of it may be outdated, and it's certainly incomplete, uh, as the book was published back in 2005. And you know, people don't really publish websites anymore because things change so fast. Uh, but it's still a great book uh, that every serious cryptozoologist or researcher on strange animals should have. Uh, I can't remember when or where I got. I think I got mine for Christmas. A number of years ago it's a little expensive now looking at it uh, online it's like really outrageous link here in chat i forgot to get a picture of it usually i put a picture in chat but uh you'll see it if you click on the amazon link so it's right now it's going for uh hardcover is sixty-eight dollars ninety cents. i have a paperback version of that still pretty big book uh, it's going for like 40 bucks. I'm not selling mine, um, but uh, I don't think I've even been able to get through this entire thing. You know, Encyclopedia is not really a book that you read from beginning to end unless you're a really, really big nerd, but I'm pretty close. Uh, but I've read through chunks of this book. I've looked up a lot of different things. I've used this. It's a very valuable resource. Again, Encyclopedia of Cryptozoology, a global guide by Michael Newton. This week's book of the week, a very valuable resource for anybody uh, who researches. Yeah, did you hear the thump? Researches or investigates cryptozoology. That is this week's book of the week. Yeah, it's outrageous. Uh, I don't think I spent that much. Well, again, I got mine for Christmas. I don't think it was that much. It was probably one of those Barnes and Noble things where it wasn't. Too bad. I don't see a price on 
the outside of the book. Normally they have the on the barcode or whatever, but I think it was one of those Barnes and Noble specials you get for like ten bucks or something back in the day. But uh, yeah, I guess it's a little harder to find now. Better keep an eye on this thing. Uh, a lot of my books get uh, I let people borrow things and then I never get them back. That that happens as a researcher. So I got to be a little bit uh, more weary about that. Anyway, appreciate you uh, showing up in the chat room. Appreciate you hanging out with me for an hour every week. And even if you weren't in the chat room, you know what? I still appreciate you. I thank you for listening to the show. Uh, yeah, definitely stay safe out there. I will see you next week. But for now, keep your eyes in the skies, your ears in the woods, the hair standing on the back of your neck, and always keep your mind slightly ajar. And above all else, don't stop believing. For the Paranormal News Insider, this is Dr. Brian D. Parsons reporting.